Welcome back. And thank you for joining me again on the BIPOC Outside podcast. I'm Chris Cromwell, and today we're sitting down with Ruandi Albazarez. Ruandi is a multi-sport athlete, professional sports photographer, mountain bike educator, community organizer, and the founder of War Paint magazine, which is filling the gap of media coverage of BIPOC folk in the outdoors. So let's get into it, shall we? But before we get into it, of course, as you know, this show doesn't happen without our title sponsor, the Outward Bound Canada Training Academy for Outdoor Professionals. With program locations across Canada that offer free programming to address skill gaps in the outdoor sector, the Training Academy is building the next generation of outdoor leaders. With a commitment to meaningful Indigenous representation and by prioritizing BIPOC and 2S LGBTQ inclusion, the Academy is reimagining what the outdoor industry looks like. Check out their website to sign up for their free spring and fall sessions. Visit obctrainingacademy.ca or find their partner link on our website. We also need to shout out our presenting sponsor, Mountain Gazette. Mountain Gazette is a biannual large format magazine celebrating mountain culture, featuring beautiful long-form storytelling from real people who love the outdoors. These are stories you sit with and you savor. Each issue also contains stunning photography. These are magazines that you'll keep and you'll come back to. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, go higher. Check them out at mountaingazette.com or find their partner link on our website. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Good morning. I'm good. Thanks. Right How are on. you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's sunny outside and it's a good day. So let's let's jump right into it. You're originally from L.A., is that correct? Yes. I grew up, my hometown is Inglewood, California. Nice. And now in Portland. And so what was your start in the outdoors? Oh, man, my start in the outdoors. Well, I didn't have a lot of outdoors exposure growing up, aside from the beach. We live pretty close to the beach. and But I didn't have anybody in my life who specifically did outdoor stuff. I remember a couple of times, a couple of my dad's friends who were into dirt biking took us out to the desert and we rode bikes at the OHV parks and I thought that was awesome but I didn't really have a lot of exposure to it until I moved away from home and started going out exploring on my own. I was in the Air Force and I was stationed up in North Dakota. I guess my my first real exposure to the outdoors was out there going hunting a couple of times and we did a lot of fishing. There's not not necessarily like a whole lot to do there in the summer it's flat and that was probably one of my first experiences of like real depression just the culture shock of going from LA to North Dakota but yeah it, it started my I guess that's where my exposure to the outdoors started at first and just kind of snowballed from there I started that's when I started learning how to I went snowboarding afterwards like after I left North Dakota and, and yeah ultimately I found mountain biking and fell in love with it. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like how my outdoor story started. That's awesome. What's your favorite way to get outdoors these days? My favorite way is still mountain biking. I I actually live in Vancouver, Washington. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. It's right next door to Portland. So Portland's like 10 minute drive. But where I live at is specifically so I'm closer to the mountain bike trails. Our local system is the Yakult Burn Forest where Coal Creek, Thrillium and Sixth Sense are the main trails. And uh, yeah, I try to get out there as often as possible. So you are a photographer by trade, have been for a long time, focusing mm -hmm. mostly in action sports and sports. And so how did you get from there to Warpaint? Oh, so 
I feel like me being into photography was definitely probably the first step towards war paint. I, so I've been mountain biking for about 20 years now. And both I was, I was a single dad for a long time. My kids are older now, but they got into mountain biking with me as well. So, you know, as they got older, like when they became teenagers, they wanted to start racing. And, you know, of course we used to like subscribe to all the magazines, like specifically bike magazine because the the imagery was awesome all the pictures and you know we'd watch all the movies when they would come out and i think just kind of out of the blue it just kind of stood out to me that there wasn't a lot of or any people of color in any of these videos movies any of the magazines you know the online magazines i would see stories all the time about groups of white people going down to central or south america and it started to bug me that the only pictures that they would include of the local people there was like the poorest person that they could find. And I'm like, oh, the people here, you know, I'm Guatemalan, you know, so like the people here in Guatemala, they're so beautiful and amazing. And like, here's this picture of some lady like, you know, earning her living, making tortillas on a hot plate, like, oh, or like some kid on the street or something. Look at this really poor kid standing next to my $8,000 mountain bike, man, like, these people are awesome. Like that stuff just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I felt like it was a misrepresentation of us. And yeah, so I, I started just kind of noticing that more and more. And it just kept, I guess the, it built up the feeling of like discomfort, like knowing that. And, and I had pitched to like a few different places, you know, doing stories on, on going down to Central or South America and doing stories on the local people. And I was like, you know, just give me some money to get down there and stay there. I don't need a translator. I don't need to bring a photographer with me. I don't need to bring a videographer. I can just do all this myself. I want to do some stories on on the local people and like how the mountain bike boom is affecting them or like the, the local community there. And nobody ever went for it. And, I, you know, that just kind of bugged me because I'm like, I see that other people get money for doing these things and they're kind of just it seems to me like from my point of view, like it's basically like they're getting their vacation funded and coming back with nothing of real substance, I guess. So and that's, that's super that's, extract. No, yeah, it is. And, and yeah, eventually I just kind of got to where I was just like, I'm just going to try and start this up myself. And I started last January online, just putting up bios of people that I would meet because I would naturally just start up conversations with other people of color that I would see out mountain biking. And yeah, everybody was stoked to meet up and ride together. And, you know, sometimes it's just for the sake of like having putting content on the internet. I would ask these people if I could do photo shoots with them. And, you know, of course they'd get stoked that some, you know, we'd set a day. They thought, you know, I think, I feel like initially people would think that I was just going to take some photos with my phone. And I'm like, oh no, like, let's do it this day. And I'd show up with my camera gear and they're just like, oh, crap, like this is a real photo shoot. Cool. And they would get stoked on their images. And so I decided to start started as a digital magazine. And, you know, my goal is to maybe just every six months or something like that, do put out a print issue, make it like a coffee table book, make it picture heavy and, you know, ultimately raise money to find other contributors, other photographers, which I've met quite a few other BIPOC photographers through Warpaint. And get our work out there and like tell our stories from our lens, you know?
I love that. Um, and I love a coffee table book. I'm very excited about this. Tell me about the name. Or paint. So the name, so my ex-wife's Native American and my kids are Native American as well, half Native. And I kind of fell in love with the Native American culture after after meeting her and like getting married and learning about things for, for about the culture for my kids' sake. I'd never even stepped foot on a reservation until I was, I met her in North Dakota when I was in the Air Force and I kind of couldn't believe places like that existed in the U.S. Like not not all of it, but you know, parts of it. The poverty level was. It felt like going to visit Guatemala. You know, I go to Guatemala. My parents live in Guatemala, and and you know, you definitely drive through neighborhoods where the poverty level is like really low, and so that kind of shocked me. And I just kind of wanted to like start learning more about their culture, and which, in a roundabout way, led to my own reconnection with with the indigenous side of my culture as well. But for for as far as war painting goes, I don't know. When I when I decided that I was gonna start an online magazine, I was just kinda like, oh, what am I gonna call it? And I was just like, you know, writing names down that I thought might sound cool. I wanted to make sure that it was catchy. It was something that would stick out in people's minds. When I kind of fell upon war painting, I really liked it, but I was kind of afraid that people would look at it as something that was kind of aggressive. And and then I was also worried that the Native American community would be like, hey, dude, why are you using, you know, something that that comes from our culture? But I, I kind of did a small poll with some of my Native American friends and everybody was cool with it. They loved it, actually. And it's kind of rad because the Native American community is one of our biggest supporters and my kids love that. But so I guess like a deeper definition of it would be like, you know, I like the word war paint because I feel like war paint is kind of combating the lack of media covering BIPOC people in the outdoors through creativity. And that would be where the paint falls under. So war, you know, the, I don't know if that makes sense. It does. But yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, splitting up the word war, we're combating the lack of diversity in media and paint. We're using creativity and essentially I'm trying to get as much content out there with people of color doing all these outdoor sports as I can. You know, in large part, I guess the way that I picture it is that, you know, if somebody, if some kid is thinking about getting into one of these sports, I want them to do a Google search and either have war paint pop up or if they go to the images, they don't not have to scroll to like page three to start seeing more people that look like that, you know? Yeah. And that's where that thought process or my thought process for coming up with and sticking with war paint. So. Okay. I love all of that. It made me have 19 more questions. This might be a little scattered. (laughs) So something you said, like really specifically that, you know, BIPOC folks aren't represented in media. And I think that's really important to be like that specific because it's not like we're not out there. Yeah. It's just that we're not getting media time. Mm -hmm. You know, like between our two countries, there's what, 360 million. And sure, like, yes, BIPOC folks are underrepresented in the outdoor space, but it's not that we're not out there. We're out there by the millions. People need to be talking about it. Yeah, no, there's definitely... So I was living in L.A. because I moved back for a couple of years right before like a year before the pandemic. I was down there during the pandemic. And over there, when I would go mountain biking, for example, there's tons of BIPOC people out mountain biking. If you if I would go riding on a Sunday, I feel like a lot of the Filipino people and a lot of the Mexican people or Latino people would go to church and then get out of church and go ride bikes. And the trails were just flooded with brown. And when I would. 
I explained to some of the people there what I was trying to do. They were just like, what? They don't see the lack of diversity because they're in LA. But I've lived, I've lived in, you know, I grew up in LA. I've lived in North Dakota, Texas, yeah, here in Vancouver, Atlanta, Denver. And the whole time that I've been traveling around, my kids and I have been into mountain biking and we've ridden in all these diverse places or all these places with where there's a huge lack of diversity. And so, you know, once I would explain that, they're like, oh, okay. I never really thought about that. I'm like, yeah, we're in LA. LA, as far as I'm concerned, is basically northern Mexico. It's, you know, everybody speaks Spanish. All my white friends down there like spoke some Spanish and, you know, knew about the culture and loved it and they loved the food and everything. And, but everywhere else, it, it, it's not like that. And Portland, you know, yes, I'm in Vancouver, but it's essentially a suburb of Portland. This area doesn't have the great, the most diverse history. It's actually has a history of like anti diversity. So, Yes, it was, I think, the only state that was brought into the union as a white state, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Like people weren't allowed to move here for a really long time. And, you know, that when I moved here, because I've been in the area for like about the last specifically here for the last like 15 ish years. And it was it was very, very small BIPOC community here. And, and yeah, I felt weird. And that was about the time that I started realizing like, you know, with the, at least with the outdoor sports, that there was a huge lack of diversity. And yeah, it just kind of highlighted that even more for me being out here. And, you know, I would find the, the, the few IPOC rioters and, and we'd hang out together because yeah, there wasn't a lot of us. So yeah. Yeah, totally. That's how it's felt for me in the ski world a little bit. <laughs> you talked about kids, you know, getting on Google and scrolling and I don't, I, I guess it's hard for me to really articulate this, but for example, this last November was the first time I, I went to the Color the Slope Summit in Revelstoke, which was all people of color, a whole weekend of skiing. And it was the first time I'd ever been on the mountain with people of color who weren't in my immediate family. And I'm in my mid 40s. And it was just like this whole celebratory weekend. But there were some quiet moments where I got a little teary. Like, I don't think people who are always represented really understand how important that can be for kids, obviously, but for really for all of us. Yeah, no, for sure. I had been living in Portland for, or in, yeah, Portland area for, I want to say like two, three years. And I, before I went, before it really hit me, I ended up going to this event that the city of Portland puts on called Say Hey. It's to introduce, Portland actually does a pretty good job of putting in the work to try to diversify the landscape for entrepreneurs. So they they put on this event to introduce BIPOC people that had moved here to the, to the community of businesses. And so it seemed like all the businesses would send BIPOC employees to these, these events. And so, you know, you get up on the stage and like you get to introduce yourself and what you, what you do. And when I was up there, I got, I didn't get teary-eyed. I probably got close when it just hit me. We were, we were in this auditorium. I want to say it was at one of the, the big marketing agencies. But when it hit me that like it, it had been a while since I'd been in a room just full of people of color. And I was just, I think once it hit me, I was just like, oh, crap. I, I started feeling weird for feeling, I guess, noticing that and like realizing that it had been a while. Yeah, there's just, like I said, the, the BIPOC community here is small and uh, you know i'm just trying to grow it and that's helped me that's helped motivate me to do the work that i'm doing with war paint amazing so. i think one of the other consequences of that and josh who's on your board 
articulated really well in his bio that's on the website. Like, yeah, sometimes I just roll solo. And I think that's something that a lot of BIPOC folk, depending on where you are, you have to do that. And like, I do that sometimes just because I want to go out alone on the bike, on the skis. But it's nice to have the choice to be in community. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I guess all this stuff's kind of hard to talk about because there's so many layers to it, you know? Josh is great. Josh, I met him last summer. He happened to be out here just possibly looking at this place as a place to live. And I ran into him at a bike shop and he he already knew who I was. He was already following Warpmate from Austin. And I've actually met two him and another family from Austin or from Texas that were already following Warpaint. And but yeah. Running into me, coming out to a group ride that we happened to be having that weekend when Josh was here, kind of convinced him, sold him on moving here. Oh, amazing. And, yeah. And he was just like, yeah, I'd never really gone riding with this many people of color. It's it's really cool. And so I, I yeah, him and I are in contact every day, pretty much. So, And that's, that's something you do. Like, you're not just a magazine. You're not just a content creator. You've been doing a ton of community organizing and trail days. And tell me about this step. Tell me about, you know, the work that you're doing. How, like, how are you building these communities? Well, as far as the community side of things, even before I decided to officially start the magazine, I'd been doing BIPOC group rides. I started doing them here when I moved back from LA. When I was down in LA, I was I was doing a couple of bios every once in a while for growth cycling in the beginning. I, t- I reached out to Elliot Jackson and, you know, we saw eye to eye on a lot of things. And I just, you know, I was like, okay, you're working on the bigger picture stuff. Like, I feel like for me, the community is super important. And, you know, like, I feel like BIPOC people, aside from just the cycling community, which isn't a whole lot, should know about what you're doing. And so I would just go out for rides and meet people and talk to them about it and like do little shoots and, you know, throw them on there as well. But yeah, so I started doing the group rides and, and we did a small, what was that? 2021. We did a small mountain bike festival, but that was about BIPOC mountain bike festival at Gateway Green in Portland. I met the president of Northwest Trail Alliance at the time, and she was the only BIPOC board member on the Northwest Trail Alliance board. Now, now I'm on there as well. I'm, I'm the community director of the Northwest Trail Alliance. And uh, I've just been, as far as they go, like I've been helping kind of, I, I've helped with like the, our statement on our website. And, but yeah, the rides just started up. I started realizing that people love coming out to them. Then I started the magazine and that the rides just kind of kept going. And I guess I never really initially thought about the rides as community work but i was just like wanting to go ride bikes and introduce other people of color and yeah the ride got a little bit more official when we started doing friday night light rides last summer it was basically every friday and we'd all run out we got some lights donated by design and started introducing people to night ride thing out at one of the local trails and we started also doing because of course i caught I, I feel like it's natural to get some backlash from some of the white community members telling me that I was being divisive and, you know, I'm just promoting segregation. And I was like, that's not really what I'm trying to do, but I'd like to show you what I'm trying to do with why it's important to have these spaces. And so every, I think once a month we would do an open ride that wasn't BIPOC only. So either people's partners could come out or, or I would specifically invite some of the white people that were kind of attacking me about this, come join us. And, you know, we do, we do a couple of laps come back to the parking lot, hang out, have a beer or whatever, and start conversation up talking about the reasons why this 
was kind of important to us. And I feel like, you know, ultimately our, our catchphrase is that outdoors belong to everyone or to all of us. Our goal was to just kind of give them an idea of why this is important. And I felt like there was a lot better connection after a ride, you know, starting to develop a little bit of an organic friendship with us and hearing about some of the negative things that have happened to us while trying to enjoy time in the outdoors. On the magazine, I encourage people to share their positive and negative experiences through their own eyes. And I'm not telling anybody what to say, but you know, I'm like, as far as I, I'm, I'm also mid forties and like, I feel like things that I have learned as an adult is a lot of the healing process is acknowledging the good and the bad. And I feel like for for the sake of diversifying a sport like mountain biking, really connecting with people and hearing some of the some of the bad things that they've had to experiences that they've had kind of builds the, a better picture of why doing the BIPOC only rides is important. And yeah, I feel like some of our some of the people that have come out end up being some turning a turning a page and becoming these super huge allies because they understand now why this is important you know, become super supportive of everything that we're doing. And uh, yeah, I just want to see it grow now. So I, I feel like a lot of my white friends, either because of where they live or where they work, just don't get the chance to develop organic relationships with people of color. And I try to help facilitate that through things like the open rise. Um, You've talked about before, um, you know, concerns about backlash from the like the non-racialized community about the things that you're doing and i really appreciate you talking through like how you've approached that and how you've you've turned that into something really positive have you experienced other backlash aside from comments online and stuff like that not really i feel like i feel like i'm a pretty approachable and easy to talk to person so I, I'd rather have a conversation about the things than like just have somebody get mad and like fire comments off back and forth online. Yeah, I feel like most of the people that have had any issues, I encourage them to come and sit and have a conversation with me. And I think once we talk about it in person, they get a different perspective on it. And for the most part, kind of uh, either just accept it and like, you know, realize that it's not something super negative or, or like I said, become an ally. And, and yeah, and sometimes it's from BIPOC folks as well. I feel like it's... You know, it's hard to, that's all societal stuff. You know, a, a lot of, a lot of BIPOC people, you know, you just get raised to making sure that you're trying as hard as you can to assimilate. And it's, it's not the same story for everybody. And so like the first time that happened, that kind of like weirded me out. I was like, what? You think what I'm doing is racist? It's not. And yeah. We've had it's, those comments uh, too about, you know, oh, you're reverse racism. You're racist. I'm like, no, we're just privileging other voices. Yeah. So, yeah, because we need representation. It's that's that's a big, a huge part of it. You know, mainstream sports like football and basketball and baseball, you know, it's totally acceptable to be a person of color doing these things. But, you know, the other sports, skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, surfing, even it's it's not as media common. It's very common, but it's not common to the public on on the internet and and yeah a lot of the other the BIPOC community organizers that I have talked to I feel like we all kind of experience backlash like that Ida from he's the guy who founded Black Surfers on Instagram yeah he put it in a really good way he he was just like yeah he's like it's almost like you have to give yourself a minor in racial studies just to be able to like have constructive conversations with people and 
because I went down there and I did a, a shoot with him down in Oakland, or we went down to Santa Cruz and we were talking about like books that we've been reading and the information that I've been getting. And I was sharing with him, you know, I was like, this has been really good for me because now I can articulate all these feelings that I had instead of just being like, this is just wrong because it's wrong. It makes me feel a certain way. I can articulate how and why it makes me feel that way. So I feel like that's that leads to a lot more constructive conversations. I appreciate that you're creating space for the good, the bad, the whole human experience, because they like to pigeonhole BIPOC people into, you know, shove us into certain corners. And we're not. We're just we're people, (laughs) just very regular people. But it's interesting your approach to it, because I find that in a lot of other media, you know, the the pain leads right? Like if it bleeds, it leads. And that's the thing that gets the click. And that's the lens it's coming through. But mm-hmm. you're looking at it from a perspective of like sport and, and you know, activity and achievement and engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, definitely like trying to help people have a positive experience with the outdoors. And, you know, also, like I said, see the negative side of it, like how, how it's affected us. My kids, for example, they were kind of unsure about what I was doing when I told them what I was what Warp Paint was going to be about. And they're like, they did most, we moved around a lot, but they did most of their growing up here in the Northwest. And, you know, they were, they were like, you're, so you're like going to do events and like exclude white people. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Some of them are going to be like that. And, you know, they just felt uneasy about it and they weren't sure what, what I was doing. But, you know, six months later, once, once the group events started kind of becoming a thing and my oldest was the first one to come out to them, he really got it. And he's like, yeah, like the community is completely different. It's a lot more warm and inviting like environment. And it's not like we're going out to ride and it's all about trying to beat each other up the mountain and down the mountain. And it's it's more about, I guess the way that I started explaining it to people recently was our group rides are really fun because everybody kind of goes out of their way to make sure that the least skilled person has the best time while they're out there and makes them want to come back again and try it some more. And some of the newer people that we've had showing up to our events and rides, there were, you know, the the last one, actually just last week, one of them told me, like, I've been riding bikes here and I love bikes, but it's gotten so much more fun now that I have such a cool group of people to go ride with. And yeah, and, and we've got them trying things that riding trails that they hadn't tried in the past. So I'm also a level one bike instructor. So we can stop and like go, you know, we don't want anybody to get hurt. We'll stop on the trail and like look at a feature, talk it through, have somebody demonstrate. If you feel like trying it, cool. If not, don't worry about it. Like maybe, maybe next time we come out, you'll feel good and you can try it out. But yeah, it's just really encouraging. And it's, it's encouraging for me to hear stuff like that from people. We started last year, we became one of the stewards at Gateway Green, which is a bike park in the middle of Portland, basically. And we're trying to, this summer, we started doing trail work like this fall, this past fall, we were doing a lot of like leaf clearing and blowing and stuff like that and fixing up like drainage issues. And this year we were part of the skills area revamp. We've been out there helping to build and a lot of the people on our crew have been taking trail school lessons. We actually had one yesterday. We had a little clinic on jumps and burns out at Black Rock in Oregon. And we were there all day just building. The weather wasn't good for riding at all. We were just out. It was like sun, snow, rain, snow again. It was 
the weather was kind of crazy, but yeah, we all had a good time. We, everybody got, the people that came out got to see the transformation from like a, a row of just like, you know, mixed up dirt taking shape into a trail and got some good tips. So everybody's excited to start doing more work at Gateway Green now. And we're going to be holding lots of events there this summer. We're, we're wanting to do a, a mountain bike clinic for our series, specifically targeting BIPOC kids and even Spanish speakers. I'm, I'm a native Spanish speaker. And I think probably, I think the majority of the people that, that come out to the events happen to be Hispanic descent. So a lot of them speak Spanish as well. But yeah, we want to do that. Start holding weekly events there like, I don't know, maybe Wednesdays or Tuesday nights or something midweek. And through Northwest Trail Alliance, I'm organizing a mountain bike slash cultural festival July 8th. So we're working on that as well. So if you happen to want to come down, you're more than welcome. I'll be in uh, Northern Washington at the time, so I won't be too far away. Oh, no. Yeah, you won't be too far away. Oh, for the tune-up for what? No, we're just, we're there half the year. Half the year in Canada, half the year in Washington. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, you should come down for that. And we'll be up at the Northwest tune-up as well. We're working on organizing a big BIPOC group right there as well for the festival. So I've had a couple of the BIPOC people that I know up in Bellingham asking me for like a last year to do a ride up there. So I feel like the festival would be a perfect opportunity. No doubt. Yeah, that'll be a good time. You've talked before about the importance of like trail access for urban communities. And, and so is that a part of what you're doing in Portland? Yeah, so we're kind of trying to use Gateway Green as a, a starting off point because of its accessibility. The the Max train runs right through it. And, and so we want to start, you know, doing that with the first BIPOC Mountain Bike Festival was there in 2021. Last year we didn't do one, but we were we we were there for Take a Kid Mountain Biking Day and like help set up that festival. So hopefully this one, we're, we're going to focus on it a little bit more and try to make it bigger, more inclusive, make a big part of it be, you know, bringing out new riders. So hopefully some of the bike brands that I've been reaching out to come through and bring some demo bikes for people to use so we can put on some clinics for kids and let people try bikes out on the, on the trails there in the park. But uh, that's, like I said, it's kind of our starting off point and the whole purpose of getting a lot of the war paint community out learning how to build trail is to hopefully the city about having BIPOC built trails in other spaces here in the city. Cause there's a lot of space here and I feel like, you know, a lot of it gets catered to hikers and runners and stuff and or gravel bikes. But for mountain biking, it's a little bit different. The trails are a little bit different. So hopefully we can, you know, develop a relationship and start to introduce some small trail to maybe some parts of the city that didn't have them before and make, you know, make it so that we can also go and do the maintenance and hold events there and like bring people out there. And yeah, that, that's the third goal. You talked about before when it comes to educating, you're not just teaching youth or folks new to the sport, like about the technical aspects of the sport or about the, you know, about the different features. You're also teaching them like the language and the lingo. And I think that's so important. I think that's what Sean Mallier from Winter for Kids called it like the secret handshake, right? Like the ability to be able to not just be in the community, but communicate in the community indicates that you belong there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I feel like belonging is one of my new favorite words. I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard somebody I heard it somewhere where they're like using DEIB instead of just DEI. The B is for belonging. And I'm like, man, like that is so spot on because you could do all the other stuff, 
But if somebody doesn't feel like they belong, you know, that's that's kind of like the whole enchilada. And yeah, like I said, having these group rides, we teach people the lingo. They hang out with us. Nobody's making fun of them for their ability. Or if we do a large group ride, let's say like, I don't know, 15, 20 people show up. We'll split up into groups. One of us will go with like the slower riders and like maybe do an easier route. And just along the way, you know, just teaching everybody the lingo, teaching everybody how to do, you know, bike checks on the bike and like teach them all the parts. This in January, we held two maintenance clinic events at Cycle Path in Portland. The first one was just a, a basic bike skill one, like things that you might run into on the trail, like a flat tire or your chain comes off or a small like derailleur adjustment or something like that. And the second clinic was a suspension setup clinic, which everybody loved. SRAM partnered with us, came out and Derek, the local field rep for SRAM, yeah, came and did a whole rundown of how to set your suspension up on your bike. And, and there's tons of people that are seasoned riders that don't know that. I don't know that. <laughs> so no, he did a great job, came in, broke everything down. Everybody loved it. Derek was actually the one who was leading some of the clinic yesterday on the trail work because he does a ton of, he's super involved with the trail building community. So yeah, he's the one that helps set that up. And Warpaint's got a trail committee now and they're the ones who've been in contact with him and like set everything up and told us the dates. And we're like, all right, cool, let's go there. So awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome now that I've, I kind of ha have the board now and I'm slowly learning to do stuff so that I can, I kind of felt I lost focus a little bit of the magazine because there's so much community stuff going on, but now I'm getting the chance to like kind of get back to that. And we just filed for our 501c3 last week. So hopefully sooner rather than later that that happens and we're working on getting a fiscal sponsor for the time being so we can start fundraising for, for events and stuff this summer and for the magazine, we really want to yeah, get that going. So this is so exciting. There's just so much. And it's also exciting. I want to go back a little bit too, because you are also a surfer. I <laughs> and to be a surfer. I own a couple of wetsuits. And during the pandemic, I took some lessons while I was down in LA because I happened to be living like 15 minutes from the beach. I started surfing with uh, Color of the Water down in LA. They're a nonprofit that does free surf lessons for BIPOC. And yeah, it was great. I, I surfing is hard. And, and it's funny because I would meet surfers and they're like, what? Or it's intimidating. And they're, they're like, why is it intimidating? You mountain bike. And I'm like, I don't do all the big stuff you see on TV. Like I'm not jumping off cliffs in Utah or anything like that. But yeah, I can see how, you know, stepping into two different worlds. Every time I would go surfing, you know, if I hadn't gone consistently, I'd probably stand there in, in the waist high water for like 10 minutes or so, just reacclimating to like, I'm in the ocean and I can die out here. So, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really hard. I, I haven't gone surfing in a little over a year and it's a lot different out here in, at the Oregon coast than, than California. The, the waves break so much further in. So you're like really paddling out there and yeah, it, it's a really awesome sport. I love it. It's very grounding. I feel like you're out there and you're just like away from everything. You're, you know, you're like 15 minute drive from my house. Like. I'm just in a completely different environment. Of course, like regular surfers are out there every, almost every day, my friends in California, at least. And so they get acclimated really quickly, but it's kind of like similar to the same experience when I take somebody out to the woods for the first time, they're kind of terrified. And I'm like, oh, it's, they're like, isn't there mountain lions and bears here? And I'm like, I guess there is, but you know, rarely ever see them. I've seen like one mountain lion, like in my, or not two, like in 20 years. 
So I'm like, eh. but I love, I love being out in the water. And, and this summer we actually are trying to plan a multi-sport weekend where we take some surfers out, show them, do a clinic, show them how to mountain bike and like have some bikes for them to use, camp out. And then the next day, like go out to the beach and take some of the mountain bikers out and show them how to surf. Oh, that sounds like the raddest weekend ever. Yeah. Everybody that I've told about it is pretty stoked about it. So I'm excited about it as well. There's luckily there's a new mountain bike trail system close to Seaside, Oregon, Kluchi Creek. So we can ride there and that, and it's literally, I don't know, 20 minutes from the beach. So it's kind of perfect. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Surfing is something I know absolutely nothing about. Like I'm landlocked on the east side of the Rocky Mountains, not not surfing people at all. And it's something I'm going to have to learn because our next season is focusing on the water. So I'm going to have to learn some of those secret handshakes and some oh, of the lingo awesome. so I can talk to people. I might be hitting you up. I can go out there and, you know, be awkward with you. But something I thought was really interesting when you were talking about how, you know, media is not focusing on athletes of color and you and you said also in surfing, which I found so fascinating because it's an indigenous sport. Like they've been yeah. wave riding in along the Polynesian islands and then Hawaii for 3,500 years. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it totally is an indigenous sport and media literally changed it to where people just view it as a white sport. Growing up in Inglewood, I feel like I've always been drawn to action sports, but my parents, when I was growing up, were just like very cautious or just couldn't afford those things. And but I would look at surfing and I would like mention it, I don't know, to my cousins and my friends. And they're like, oh, you can't do that. That's white sport. And I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, back then I was like, oh, I guess you're right. I don't see any brown people doing this. But, you know. Yeah, like like you said, all all these other countries, all these yeah, it's it's a huge sport and it's been around forever. And you know, hanging out with the with the crew from Color of the Water down in LA, I got to see for myself a lot of the negativity that they have to deal with being out in the water. And and it sucks, you know, having people yell at you and use racial slurs and tell you to get out of the water. And, you know, it's it's really crappy. And it's it's sad that 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 mentality is a thing, such a huge thing. And, you know, so with with Warpaint, I like to talk about stuff. I like to talk about experiences. I don't want to ignore that. I, I don't I'm not of the school or, you know, school of thought of, oh, well, let's not not talk about it. It's going to go away. It's not going to go away. It's going to go away if you talk about it. And with a lot of my white friends that we've had these deep conversations about like all this, you know, it's like, I don't want you to feel guilty. I'm not, you know, we're not mad at you because you're three generations back, you know, your family was like this or whatever, or did, you know, these horrible things. We, it would just be nice to have people do some education, get some education on how to put in the work and like genuinely bring about some change, you know, teach your kids that these things were wrong and but don't be this way. So I don't know. And it's important that we like we can we have these difficult conversations that we confront these uncomfortable truths, because if we don't, we're just going to we're just doomed to repeat them. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't if you don't stop and just like with anything in life, you know, all, all of our growing pains, even at 44, 
if I don't stop and deal with these things and acknowledge it and see the bad things that come of it, if I don't acknowledge it, I'm never going to really fix it. It's just going to, I'm going to pass it on to my kids and my kids are going to do the same thing. They're going to learn from watching me and do the same exact thing. That's, that's basically like the definition of, you know, generational trauma, like getting passed on. I don't know if you have been following the, the World Surf League just amended their competition policies to include trans athletes. Have you been following that at all? I saw a little bit about that, like when they started talking about it, but I hadn't haven't been on too much media these last few weeks. So, but that's great. They're yeah, that's 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 huge, and hopefully changes like that keep happening. It's it is cool to hear that they're taking a step in the right direction with that. Yeah, I agree, and I I unfortunately can't. I'm very jealous that you've been able to step away from media while while we're in season. I unfortunately can't, so I'm waiting for June. <laughs> of course, there's been some like some very negative commentary about this decision. And again, I go back to like, this is an indigenous sport and like indigenous Hawaiians, the gender is not a binary concept in that indigenous community and it is mm-hmm. their sport. So kind of like the audacity of the rest of you to impose. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you said, with indigenous people, it's basically a sport that humans just do. It doesn't matter. You know, nothing else matters. All that matters is you go out and like enjoy it and there's no boundaries to it. And that's the way it should be, you know, that's the way all the sports should be. Yeah. So but but I'm stoked to yeah, to see to hear about people realizing people, I guess people in power to set these rules for the sport, I guess. I don't know. I have my own feelings about that stuff, but no, some of the organized Unfortunately, some of the organizing of the sports for competition, it's very exclusive because, you know, not, not everybody can do it. My kids, luckily at the time when they were into mountain bike racing, I could afford it. Being a single dad with one income with three mountain bikers in the house, two of which raced was really expensive. And, you know, I would do, I would shoot photos at the, at the race events. My kids would spend the whole weekend having fun riding bikes and racing. And I'd spend the whole weekend hiking around in the woods with my camera gear, getting photos and like, so I could sell them to help offset the cost of, of the weekend. And, but yeah, no, it's cool to hear that changes are happening. Let's get back to the magazine a little bit. I love the idea that when it's in print, it's going to be a coffee table book. Thrilling. You've got some fundraisers coming up this, this summer. Do you want to tell us about that? The fundraiser that we have coming up which will be our first big fundraiser is a an art contest that we're doing partnered with SRAM and Rock Shops. We're going to be doing a an art contest open to indigenous artists only to design lowers, design for the lowers on a fork. And then we'll be raffling off the fork. We'll probably be raffling off like the top three winners with the, with the graphics on them online. And I've been doing some work trying to connect with the local Native American communities, with the local tribes. And one of them in particular is kind of excited about us doing this and wants to open up a space in their casino to let us do the award ceremony and even, even possibly have a space open for, I don't know, a week or so to show off all the submissions as well. So I'm, I'm excited to see the, uh, the local tribes being excited about this. One of our big goals with Warpaint is to, you know, connect the, the Native American community with the outdoors. We want to hopefully like build trail there as well and like do some clinics, some, you know, some series of schools, get our hands on some bikes and like be able to take kids out and show them how to ride bikes and introduce them to something different that I'm sure some of them already ride, but you know, 
maybe a little bit more formally introduce them to to the sport. And yeah, no, I'm super excited about that. I I think you know, with a lot of the different organizations and like companies nowadays, like land acknowledgements are great, but what what else are you doing? You know, there there's a lot more that you can do aside from just starting your meeting by acknowledging whose land you stole and you know moving on. So. <laughs> It starts to become a checkbox. It's like, okay, land acknowledgement, identify the emergency exits, safety moment. Okay, meeting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That, I know I'm not the only one that that kind of doesn't sit well with. You know, I feel like there's a lot more that people can do. And, you know, even now it feels like, I, at least with Warpaint, I don't want the, uh, the need to diversify things to just have been a trend because it definitely blew up and like slapped everybody in the face during you know the blm movement and george floyd and everything and all of a sudden like i mean i was watching social media like a hawk when that happened because i wanted to see how all these outdoors companies were going to react and you know from one day to the next all of a sudden everybody's fees are just black athletes and ambassadors and i'm like were you just hiding all these supposedly already established ambassadors <laughs> you know some some of the companies like all of a sudden there was like short films you know like two weeks in and i'm like these take a long time to make like we did you just have this and like you weren't sharing it with the with the world and and and, re and recently it seems like it's slowing down kind of starting to die out you know all the people that they reached out to and brought on as ambassadors during that time they're now letting all the you know BIPOC media creators are, are, you know, getting let go as well. And, and, you know, it's not, it's not something that should be treated as a trend. It's something that, you know, should have longevity and like become something that just becomes the norm. So I feel like I went off on a tangent a little. No, that's great. That's, a, that's, thank you for validating all of my thoughts and feelings. I remember, you know, the back-to-back -back protest cycles of Black Lives Matter and then Every Child Matters after the identification of the graves at former residential school sites. Mm -hmm. It just seemed to become, my husband said that people of color had become the new Pokemon and that outdoor companies had to get them all. <laughs> and then now yeah. you know, 2023 and we're back to where we were in 2019. Yeah. And it's terrible. It's it's kind of upsetting to see it happening. And I don't know if everybody else even pays attention to that. I know for sure BIPOC will see it, you know, and on my on my site on, on, on Warpaint, I did it last summer. I met up with Corey from uh, he's a he's a photographer out on the East Coast and he was out here for the EWS race at Whistler. And we did an impromptu. I, Warpaint doesn't do podcast, but we did an impromptu one because our friend that we happen to be hanging out with had audio equipment. So with Pat is white, Corey's black, and we thought it would be like a good contrast. Pat's like super ally guy to sit and talk about these things. And maybe in the future, we'll like start doing podcasts like on the regular as well. But I, I thought there was like a lot of really good points that were talked about in that conversation that were very valid, especially from think all all the changes in the outdoor industry during the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, and but yeah, I, I hate to think of it as or see it happening that it's treated like a trend. And like now, you know, it's nobody really cares. It's it feels like they're saying like, Nobody really cares anymore. So like, we'll just kind of like let this fall by the wayside. And, you know, I don't think that's cool because we're, you know, some of the biggest for companies that are trying to make sales, the BIPOC community are some of the biggest consumers. And it's kind of a shame to see them start to dismiss that 
And for the companies that are in the space that are continuing, you know, that haven't just dissolved their 2020 DEI initiatives and they're actually made real changes on the other side of that coin is we noticed that too. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of purchasing power and it shouldn't have to come down to dollars, but they're companies. So let's be realistic. There's yeah. a lot of purchasing power in our communities that is being left on the table by some and not by others. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully and as far as Warpaint goes, you know, we and I'm just starting to do this now. It's been on the back burner as well to start. There's a service link on our website now where we want to offer media services from our perspective, from a BIPOC lens. Not, you know, I feel like a lot of the a lot of the uh, media that we see like that's for that's like advertising stuff, for example, it's it looks super performative and fake and, you know, I. I don't think that works for the majority of us like to see it that way. You know, that doesn't make me want to buy your stuff or like support your company when it looks like you're forcing this aesthetic with people of color in it, you know, to try to appeal to us. And so that's going to be a whole other side of things. But and I think yeah. it's such an important one, like when we're I'm not going to get on. I've gotten on the soapbox far too many times this season, so I'm just not going to get on the soapbox. But like when we say representation, we don't mean we mean behind the camera and making editorial decisions and making creative decisions, because otherwise those images, they, they're not meaningful to our communities. Yeah, no, I, I guess like one example that comes to mind is I love what the Black Foxes are doing, for example, where their vision and statement is like they're controlling the narrative, you know, and I feel like that's awesome. That's that's exactly what I want to do. And I found out about them last year and I was like, oh, this is this is rad. I really love what they're doing. And, and yeah, that's the way it should be. You know, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I see online, it's like, okay, let's make this camping scene, set it up and everything. And like, let's throw in some black or brown people. I'll just stand there. And it's like being a brown person, a lot of the things I see, I'm like, I've never gone camping with brown people. And like, that's the scenario that comes to mind. You know, we do things a little bit different. So I feel like there should be a representation of that. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to attract consumers, it's got to speak to them. Oh, yeah. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can do our part to help bring about changes like that. Well, I think you are doing your part already. And I'm excited to watch this grow and subscribe and see it all the time this like i had said to you when you're when the magazine was pointed out to me the digital magazine i was like this is what i've been looking for yeah, and i'm awesome. so excited that you know, we got to link up what about you what's next i know the next gen is a little bit more personal these days when it comes to getting the young folks on the bike and i guess my own personal next gen would be my granddaughter i'm a grandpa and she just turned two and she's got her strider bike, her push bike, and another bike already like just sitting there waiting for her to get tall enough for it. But yeah, we're definitely, that's actually part of what we've been chatting about with the board as far as uh, this year is doing, no, nobody really does family-friendly rides very much. So we kind of want to do a whole series of family-friendly rides, so maybe like every three or four weeks so that I can bring my granddaughter or my kid can bring my granddaughter out and and encourage other people, other parents to bring their kids out because I'm sure that for the most part, a lot of the people that are seasoned riders don't want to ride with somebody who has kids, but I love it. I loved teaching my kids how to ride. My my youngest son, he's been out on trail since he was five and his brother and I have all these like, at the time they might've been a little frustrating, but like looking back, we have these really good memories of like helping him like, drag his bike up a hill, you know, and, and it was, you know, very encouraging for him. Like we weren't leaving him out. Maybe that's where 
my current mentality of how to handle group rides comes from. You know, we want to make sure that the person that has the newest or the least amount of skills, like, feels encouraged to like keep coming back. And, but yeah, that's what we want to do with, with other families. You know, I don't have small children anymore, but I have my granddaughter now and I want to get her out in the outdoors as much as possible. So, and, and help other parents come out. And I'm sure all the kids would probably have even a greater time hanging out with the other kids, you know, and making those relationships. And from a consumer corporate standpoint, you know, that's good marketing for you. Like, you know, having somebody teaching the next generation. What about, do you have any, do you have any other trips planned for the summer coming up any any bucket list things you're going to tick off any adventures planned well we're going up to bellingham for the northwest tune-up in july and in august last year my oldest son mylan and my friend luis and i drove down to arizona for residuo and this year we came back so excited about it and i think we told everybody about how how it was such an awesome time. And I did a write-up on it. I think there's like a caravan of like 10 of us going down this year from here. And I plan on being down there for a week to help them, to help Resduro with uh, whatever trail building, the touch-ups they need and stuff to prep. It was such an awesome experience being down there. It, from my perspective, being surrounded by the Native American community, and he feels like I'm at a fun family reunion. And the vibe is the same. The food's great. The food's a big part of it. You know, we're, we all hang out and talk and share experiences and like go ride and have fun. And, you know, it's a blast. And it was like unlike any other bike event that my kid and I had ever been to. For my friend Luis, it was his first experience going to a race ever. And he's like, are all the races like this? And my son was just like, no, <laughs> they're not. It's most of them are pretty competitive. And like the vibe here is just just come ride and have fun and, you know, learn about our culture a little bit and i'm sure for a lot of the people that have never stepped foot on a reservation and like driving through to get to where the event was held was probably its own experience you know very eye-opening but yeah no it's great we're super excited to get down there this year i'm excited to have all these new faces come with us i think even my youngest one he's been kind of a recluse since he became a dad but he got so excited hearing his brother tell him about Resduro that we'll probably be down there with my granddaughter as well so nice so it should, should be a good time aside from that I don't know. I'm hoping that once we get our fiscal sponsor and like can do some bigger fundraising, maybe I've had a couple of the bike park photographers that I know talk about like doing a big trip together. We all mountain bike. So we thought it would be cool to just go out and get some awesome content of each other. Because when you're the photographer, there's never any pictures of you. So in my write up with Corey, that's kind of that was kind of what we did. We both went out and rode bikes at Capitol Forest in Olympia, Washington. And stopped and shot photos of each other. So there's a mix of like his pictures and my pictures in the write-up. And we both just did a little write-up on our first time meeting up together. And I thought it was really cool. So uh, yeah, that's that's the only other plan that I got. So for, for our listeners, how how do they support you? How do they follow you? What are the links? What's your social? Give me all the links. Mostly active on Instagram. And the Instagram is Warpaint Mag. There's also Warpaint Mag on Facebook. And the website is warpaintmag.co. Cool. And yeah, on the website, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a donation link on the website as well. And yeah, no, I mean, anybody that wants to support, any, anybody who wants to recommend Anyone who we should do a, a, a write-up on or, or possible contributors, that would be great. You can reach out to me. My email is rue at warpaintmag.co. And yeah, if you are if you happen to be for the time being in the Portland area at any time, check out our Instagram. We post all of our events on there. So we're working on adding a event calendar to the website as well. 
but it's not up yet. But yeah, every everything's posted on there for the most part. So that is love- incredible. And listeners, you're going to find all of those links on the show notes for this. This has been delightful. I'm so excited about everything that you're doing. And just like, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you for having having me on and giving me the time and space to share about what I'm doing. So thank you. And that is it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Links on where to find Rwandi and Warpaint are available on the show note at BIPOCoutside.com. I hope this left you as excited as it did me. And if it did, don't hesitate to smash the like button. I hope you'll join us again for another episode of BIPOC Outside.